Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. We want to welcome our visitors tonight. Thank you for being with us, coming out on a cold night. Amen. Praise God. This is really the first night of, of several nights in a row that we have a different kind of a revival. We have revival with Brother East, but on Thursday nights, we also have Celebrate Recovery. And that's at 6.30 back in the banquet room on the west end of the building. And this weekend, we have the Awakening for the Men. That will be on Friday evening and on Saturday. So we got a lot going on, but we're gonna focus on tonight. Okay, tonight is what matters. And Brother East is a great friend of this congregation, been a tremendous blessing to us. I hope he's not too soft. (laughs) But he tells it like it is, and he's got a message for us tonight that will bless your soul. So let's be attentive. Let's be responsive to the word of God. Let's receive something that will build faith in our lives. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. So, Brother East, preach the word. God bless you. Glad you're here. Well, I can't make you be responsive and or participate. I would like for you to stay awake. And hopefully you'll do that. I would like to read from the book of Genesis, chapter number 11, and verse number 6. Chapter 11, verse number 6. There's a lot of talk about the rapture, and this is something that Pastor Kylie and I had talked about. And I just finished a series over in uh, New Berlin on the rapture. Prophecy has become a billion dollar industry. Everybody's interested in prophecy. They want to know what's going to happen. I think the reason so many of them want to know what's going to happen is because they want to make sure it's not going to happen right now because they're not really ready for that moment. We, we sometimes say that we are, you know, we're, we're ready. We're ready for Jesus to come, and then we get home and get to thinking about it, and some of the things we do, we realize we're not as ready as we think we are. So to mix with something else, I am going to talk a little bit about the rapture, very, very little, but I do want to talk about it some. But I want to read this verse, Genesis 11, Verse number six, and the Lord said, behold, the people is one and they have all one language and this they begin to do and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Now, the context of this is, is that the Bible said the world had one speech and Everybody, everybody was together 
They all had one goal seemingly and they decided to build a tower which would reach up to heaven. The Tower of Babel. That word Babel actually relates to languages and, and tongues of people. And so the whole point was they wanted to get up to heaven so they could be like God. Hadn't changed much. We're, we're still doing those things. Technology has advanced more in the last 50 years than it did the other two, two, 2,000 as far since Christ. It's advanced more in the last 50 years. We've got stuff now that does everything. Everything. You can be seated and I appreciate your, your standing with me. And thank you. I sometimes, I, I see things in, with technology and I'm amazed. I, 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 I mean, I can't relate to it. What is, what's so just unbelievable is that what we see really has been around for some while because we're not allowed as, as citizens, we're not allowed to have a lot of the technology until it's already been used by the government and, and other nations before it ever gets to us. So we really don't know what's out there. We have no idea. I know that, that 20 years ago, they had microphones and stealth helicopters that no one knew anything about that could pick up a conversation from across this field over here that you were having inside your home. We didn't know they had technology like that in the open world, but it was already there. And then when these things began to be revealed, you know, we're all shocked. <gasps> I, in, in the early 80s, they came out with a, a VHS system, VCR. And I remember when in Texas that everybody was trying to buy them. That's been over 30, about 34 years ago or so. And they had been in California. Those people had been using them for five or six years. But in Texas, we'd never seen them. We didn't even know what they were. And I saw somebody with one. And, and I thought, man, that's amazing that they can do such a thing. And then that thing became obsolete. And our first microwave, remember your first microwave? The ones you get at Walmart for $19.95, they were $700 because technology. And technology was, was moving so fast that they couldn't educate people to keep up with it. And now it's gone so far beyond, I don't even know what's going on anymore. Uh, these cell phones, they, they frighten me. I keep thinking something's going to come out of one of them and get me. And little, little kids, two or three years old, or, you know, they're, they're, they're just steady moving. They, it's like they understand. I, I was preaching in one church, and, and it, it was about the size of this church. There may have been a few more people. And, and during the altar call, I had went out, and I was praying with people. And God God wasn't moving like I thought that he should. And I started looking, there were a lot of children on the, on the chairs. And so I, I just went out in the audience. Nobody was paying much attention to me because I was, I was pretty much done. And as I walked around, I noticed that all these children either had a cell phone or an iPad. And they were playing little, little games, chasing things and, and things flying through there and all that business. And I stopped at the back and I thought, how can we expect God to move in an atmosphere where nobody's thinking about him? And where our children 
are not, you see, children, we, we sometimes as adults, we come here and we think, you know, we're going to have service. Let's find something to occupy the children. I, I don't want to sound cynical or critical, but there was a time when the children paid attention to what was going on in the service. They, they actually participated. And when they were so small that they had to go to sleep, we just laid a little blanket or something down on the floor and, and they slept on the floor. And you know what? It's amazing. My, my older children, the, the three older ones, all grew up sleeping on a cement floor or a coal floor their whole life. And we didn't get out of church till sometimes 11 o'clock. Oh my God. And we actually had jobs to go to the next day. And our children, and you know, all three of my kids, and that's sometimes I question, but for the most part, none of them are retarded. So they actually were okay having to live like that. But something's happened to us in the 21st century. We are so concerned. I had one man that at one church, he said, well, he said, I won't be there tonight. It was a Sunday morning. And I said, oh, why? I mean, he's a pillar in the church. And I think some of the pillars have become pillows. And so he said, I won't be there tonight. And I said, oh, why not? And he said, well, he said, I have to work in the morning. He said, I have to get prepared for work. Well, I knew what his line of work was. You know, he did nothing. How, how does it, how much time do you need to prepare for nothing? I mean, it's not like he was going on a trip. He just had to be ready for work. But yet, excuse me, if the Packers are playing, we got time for that. And, you know, if, 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 if Fred and, and his wife come over and we're, we're grilling hot dogs or whatever it is, the kids can stay up later. It's okay. They'll be all right. I mean, after all, but in church, well, no, you know, I hope he doesn't preach real long tonight. Oh, you're in trouble tonight, you know. No, no. Do, do you see how we've changed? We, we, we've, created, we've created a Frankenstein monster in the world of religion because we've tried to put God in a box so we can control him. We tell him when to move and when not to move, and we actually give him times for which he can show up. What if God planned a service and said, you know, whoever's left at two o'clock on Sunday afternoon, I'm going to come down and change their life. What if God planned that and yet we felt like we ought to stay and, you know, honey, we ought to just skip lunch today. I know you wanted to go here and go there and, and I know so and so, but what if we just skipped it and just sat here in the church until something happened, till we felt something, everybody's gone. We'll just stay here till something takes place, till we feel the presence of God. What might happen if people started waiting for God? You know, just said, yeah, we're going to stay here. What, what would be the reward well, the Bible said the reward for waiting is they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings of eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now, how, how important is that scripture? Let me tell you that the Bible says the joy of the Lord is my strength. 
So if you wait upon the Lord to get strength, then you're getting joy. And if you've got joy, then you got strength. Some of you are unhappy because you have no strength and you're not used to waiting. You just want to pay your dues, put your time in and go on back to whatever it is you got planned. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you, Jesus Christ is putting a church together in the year that we're living in right now, 2015. And it's going to be a church without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish or any such thing and he's coming back for people that have actually taken the time to make themselves ready getting ready for the rapture we get excited about a word that's not in the bible but it's okay because by definition it means the catching away the catching away of the bride of Jesus Christ. And so we accepted this word that, that has, is a very young word. It's not an old word. Wasn't created in medieval times. This, this word is a recently, recently used word. And we, 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 we like to play on words. So we love to hear about rapture. And the big thing right now is to be rapture ready. I want to be ready for the rapture. Not a bad idea to try and get ready for the rapture. However, if you walk outside tonight when you leave and catch a spot of black ice and do a flip, land on your head and die right there on the pavement, honey, your rapture took place right there. So what you need to do is say, God, I, I believe in the rapture, but am I ready right now to meet the Lord? If tonight, if this is the big night for me, Am I ready to meet you? Because once, once that event takes place, whether it be an early leaving or whether it be the actual rapture of the church, there is no rewind. There is no backup. You don't get a get out of jail free card. You can't go back and fix all the things that you needed to fix while you were alive and well. Everything stops right there and you are accountable for what has happened up to that point. And it is that that you will stand before the judgment bar of God. And another little bubble popper is, you know, I, I, did a, I did a funeral a while back here and there was a lot of people there and I actually said this, shocked some folks. I said, let me pop your bubble. Old Tom, I'll just use your name, you don't mind, you're alive, he's dead. <laughs> so I got alive, dead. A live Tom and a dead Tom. Old Tom, I, I think you're still, oh yeah, oh yeah, it's working. And so I said, old Tom is not up there playing golf with Jesus. Like you just, people say here, you know, my, my uncle Tom's up there. He's playing probably a, on the ninth hole with Jesus right now. Or if Uncle Tom was a fisherman, they will say, they're out there right now trying to get them crappie, them bass, them walleye, whatever it is. I can see them out there on the boat right now. There ain't no boats in heaven. There ain't no lakes up there that we know of. They didn't mention them. There is a lake, but you ain't gonna fish in that one. Not unless you want some hot fish because they're gonna be hot. And I said, he's not... He's not up there playing golf and he's not off fishing. So all of you that think, well, he went to heaven. No, he didn't. You don't die.
die and go to heaven. The Bible said the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. The dead have no knowledge of what's going on, but the dead in Christ are going to rise one of these days, and then all the dead folks are going to rise, and everybody's going to stand before the judgment bar of God, and we get to look him right in the face and account for everything we ever did during our lifetime. Isn't that amazing? So then you get to say, well, Lord, I, I really was going to do that. Whoo-hoo. Sorry, I had all the intentions in the world. Did you know that if you had all the intentions you could garner, they wouldn't fill up your pocket? There's no going back. So understand two things out of this. Number one, there is a rapture that's going to take place. When all this finally consummates, it's going to happen. He's going to come. Everybody's going to rise up. We're going to rise up to meet him. He's not coming down here and sweep us all up. We're going to rise to meet him in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So there is going to be a rapture, an actual event where there's a resurrection. The graves are going to be open and it's going to happen. But the thing that's more pertinent than that right now is the fact that not one single person in this building has a guarantee, a stamped letter from Jesus Christ stating that you're going to be here tomorrow. You have no idea. Nobody that I have ever met or ever heard of woke up on Monday morning and said, oh man, this is a great day to die. Nobody. I think I'll just go out and walk in front of a bus. Nobody thinks like that. So we have no idea what tomorrow holds for us. And a lot of young folks, they think they're buff, invincible. Because they're young. Let me tell you something. I was young once and now I'm old. But never have I seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. I quoted that from David. And I can say that I've lived that. I believe that because I've seen it come to pass. I have never seen the righteous forsaken. Not one time in all of my 69 years have I ever seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. Understand that word seed means a whole lot. Because if you are not of the seed of Christ, you're not part of his kingdom. So every one of you have something to work for, to get ready for. That you're going to go, and whether you're young or old, there is uh, old, the old, old doom fella. He, he takes young folks and old folks. So everybody needs to be prepared to meet God every night. You need to be prepared before you go to sleep. And it's an easy process. You don't have to do anything in particular. You don't have to come up here and give him any money or, or come over here and, and say three Hail Marys and knock on the window. You don't have to do any of that. All you've got to do is say, God, every day, search my heart. Look inside of me, God, and see if there's any wicked way about me and lead me in the way everlasting. And God, if there is something down there, I want you to get rid of it. And then I want you to test me to make sure that it's gone. And that's what God does. He tests us sometime after we ask for forgiveness to see if we really picked it up, to to see if we accepted the hand of God and his mercy and we got rid of that old thing that's causing us to do the wrong thing. So God puts us to the test. And if you will allow me to use this illustration, I use it a lot. I've used it this week. I'll tell you though, after what happened to me from using it the other night, I may have to quit using it. Somebody, well, I'll tell you after I say it. 
if you're have if you're struggling with pornography and you pray for God to help you and get rid of that and you go home believing Man, I feel so good tonight. Man, God really touched me. I'm done with this pornography. I'm not looking at it no more. Not gonna, I'm not gonna participate. And then the next day you get up and you're driving to work. It won't, probably won't happen in this weather. I can tell you that much. And you're driving by and you drive by the bus stop and there's a naked lady standing in front of the bus stop. Now, I, I said naked for your benefits. It's actually naked, N-E-K-K-I-D. That's the way we say it in Texas. So there's a naked lady standing in front of the, I'm sorry, folks, we're all adults here. The naked lady standing in front of the bus stop. And you naturally, woman or man, you're going to glance and you see that you'll you'll do a double take. Sure you would because that's abnormal. If it were here in Wisconsin, it would be way abnormal. (laughs) And you look and you see that, you're going to do a double take. That is not a sin because you saw that. You couldn't help it. You couldn't control that. You didn't know that that was going to happen. When you make the block three times, now there's a problem. Now sin has come into the camp. See, and so for the guy that's struggling and that happens to him, and all at once after the third trip around the block, he's thinking, oh man, I failed the test. I prayed last night and I told, so sometimes the very thing we're trying to get rid of and get away from, we pray for God's help and God gives us the help. He extends it. He says, now I'm going to test and see if they took it. And so the very thing that's harming us, he will allow that to come into our lives in order to check us out. So this, one of the people at the church, they said they were in their Sunday school class afterwards after I had said this and they said to some of the little kids, they said, Did you, do you remember anything that Brother East said? One little girl said, I remember. And they said, what did he say? He said, he talked about naked ladies. <laughs> they told me that and I thought, Who? You know, so I said to her, I said, did they remember anything else? Could we, could we get a little positive note here? And he said, yeah, they remember other things. But you see, they're listening to us. We are responsible for everything we do. Everything that you do. If you say you are a Christian, you have made the broadest statement you could ever make in your life. Because Christianity today is not like Christianity all the way back in the Bible days. It's not even like it was 40 years ago. Our definition by action, our definition of Christianity today by our actions, not by what we read or say. We say, oh, I'm like Christ. I can tell you a lot of Christians are doing things you'd never catch Jesus Christ doing. Saying things that they'd never catch Jesus Christ doing. One thing about Jesus, he believed in unity. He believed in unity. That scripture that I read to you just a moment ago, where it said they are one, another translation, it said they have become united. And once, and God himself recognizing this, he said, once they reach this point where they are totally united, they are together. They are standing as two, as three, as four. They are together. And once they reach that point and they agree, he said, there is nothing that will be impossible to them. That whatever they can imagine, they can do it. God knew that unity was the key to anything, even if it was wrong. So what would happen if I got this middle section 
and got all of you into unity? What if I got you to throw away all your inhibitions and get rid of all of your gripes and complaints and belly aching and, and all of that other stuff? What if we tossed everything out the door and everybody on this section came together and you said, we're gonna do what we're supposed to do as Christians. We're not gonna talk about nobody. We're not gonna have gossip sessions at our home. We're not gonna get on the telephone. Did you hear what so-and-so did? And we're not, you know, it's sad. I hate to even talk to a youth group anymore. They know every dirty thing in the church. My daughter Jasmine come home. She'd tell, walk up to her mom and I and she'd say, you know what was happening upstairs this morning? And she'd tell my mother and I'd catch a piece up and I'd say, what? She'd say, yeah, they were up there in that upstairs Sunday school room. I said, for God's sake. I said, are there no people around up there? What, what, could, they, what could allow that to happen? Because I didn't know, but they knew it. If I could get all of that mess out of here, just with you, forget these other folks. Do you know that within six months, this entire middle section would have blossomed and began to grow that your numbers here would begin to take their seats. There wouldn't even be room for them. And before long, we'd have a full section right here. And then if we could work that over to these, you see, throw your axes away. You don't have to have an ax to grind. It's not important to get the last word. And quit going home bawling and belly aching because somebody didn't shake your hand. Well, they didn't even miss me. Don't know that I blame them. I told one of the pastors here in Wisconsin the other day, I said, you know, one thing that scares me, he said, what? I said, I hate to think that pastors would be looking, two pastors be looking out the window and I'd drive up in the parking lot and they'd say, there's Mike East. Oh, God. I hate to think that. I'd rather think that when I pulled up, they looked at us and said, Mike East is here, man. Let's go out and greet him. I want people to love me. I want people to be friends with me. But the Bible said, if you want friends, you got to be friendly. And if you want people with good attitudes and ideas to be part of your inner circle, you've got to have the same kind of philosophy. You can't use your shoulders as a suitcase to carry your feelings. What does that have to do with the rapture? Because I want you to be ready for it. Listen, there's not going to be a trial run for the rapture. You're not going to have a 72-hour notice to clean your life up. That's why you got to keep it ready every day. The Bible talks about you got to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Most of you are old enough to do that. You got to work out your own salvation. Well, I just let mom and dad. No, mom and dad can't do it for you no more. Once you reach a certain age, mom and dad can't help you no more. It's up to you and God. Well, I'm only 14 years old. That's right, and you're accountable. How old are you? How old? 18? My God. How old are you? 16. Do you know you're in the same age group that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was when she had that baby? That's not an invitation for you to get pregnant. It simply says that she was ready to take on the responsibilities of being an adult and being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, which she was. How old are you back there? How old are you, son? 14. He looks like he's 16. 14, how old are you? 
16. Jacob, 19. 14. Did you know that you're in the same age group as the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? So while you guys are saying, let's, let's, let's let the youth all go tonight so we can have church. Well, oh, wait a minute. We need to bring the youth in. We don't need to let them go. They can play basketball on their own time. Don't let them play basketball on, on God's time. These people, are they're, they're accountable now. They're responsible. How are they ever going to become adults if we treat them like children? Thank you. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael was their Jewish names. These young men were just teenagers when they were carried away into captivity. And yet, something was inside the spirit of these men that caused them to stand in the face of an old wicked king and say, we're not going to bend, we're not going to bow, and we're not going to burn. We got some prophecy riding on behind us. We believe in what our fathers and grandfathers told us. We're not going to fall for none of your tricks. And if you want to set us on fire, you go ahead and do so. But rest assured, your God is going to deliver us out of your hands right here today. This is the last day we work under your command. That's what your children need to have. That's the attitude they need to have. But parental decisions are causing conflict in the home. Don't blame the kids for the decisions you made. You ever heard of Isaac, Jacob? We like to talk about what a a scoundrel Jacob was. He wasn't no more of a scoundrel than his daddy Isaac. If you read the story of Isaac and Jacob... Isaac knew that in verse 25 of Genesis that the, the spirit of the Lord had spoken to, to his wife, Rebekah, and told her, there's two nations in your womb and the, the elder's gonna serve the younger. He knew that. And then when it comes time to give the blessings and things out, Esau is ready to bless, I mean, Jacob, or Isaac is ready to bless Esau, the guy who's not supposed to get it. Because he's following custom and he's listening to his own senses. Instead of having faith that God is able to carry that prophecy out, he starts trying to help God and does it his way. So his way was, Esau was a good cook, go cook me a good meal. The sense of taste, the sense of hunger, he wanted that. And he was ready to thwart the will of God to do what His senses told him to do. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for every one of us. No, it's past time for every one of us to get a grip on who we are and what we are and where we're going. We need to understand God didn't put you in this building so you could take up space. God didn't put you here so you could come to one service every week and claim to be a Christian. God put you here to be a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week Christian that, that would do the work of God and the will of God and not ask questions about it. And when it didn't go right, you didn't blame somebody else. You want to go to heaven, nobody can get you there but you. I can't. You can't call me in here and have a revival. That's what we, we think. I don't mean him or, or me, anybody in particular. I'm talking generically. People think, we'll bring, well, if we get so-and-so in here. Well, I can tell you, if that's the case, there are a lot of so-and-sos you could have got a lot better than me. You'd have to pay a little more, but you get what you pay for. And... They think if I get him over here, man, we will have, we'll tear. No, you won't. No, you won't. 
You might run a few circles around here and swing on the chandeliers a little while, but chances are when you leave, by the time you leave the restaurant or or get away from the table and the donuts and the sandwiches, you'll have forgot what was even preached. The truth of the matter is, revival does not start with me. Revival starts with you. And it doesn't start up here in the front end of this church or on these pews. It starts in your home and on your job, in your car. It goes wherever you go. Whatever you are is a reflection of God. We've got to somehow get our spirits and say, God, we're going to serve you. And we're going to be like you. Oh, but my wife don't like it. She needs to change her mind. Yeah, but my husband don't like it. He needs to change his mind because there is a place that we have to be whether we want to be that way or not. And the only way we can have it is to say, Lord, I don't have an ax to grind. I'm not fighting with anybody. I'm not competing with anybody. If somebody's mad at me, I'm going to find out why. I'm going to go and make it right. I'm going to clean the slate, clean the table. I'm going to come together. If I don't support the church financially, physically, emotionally, I'm going to start doing it. It's a simple process. Everybody comes together. This is everybody's responsibility. When you're at home and you walk through your own home and there's somebody's thrown trash in the floor, you don't. Some of you may. But you stop and pick it up. Why? It's your home. Same way with your car. You take care of it. Why, it's yours. Well, there's nothing more important to us than the place we assemble to get the presence of God moving in our lives. This is a generation of people that say you don't have to go to church to be saved. Well, to start with, you don't go to church. You are the church. You are the church. You are the body of Christ. That's what the church is, the called out ones. Ecclesia, that's what we are. This is a building. We, we dedicate it as an assembly place to where we, the church, come in to assemble. And once we get here, we're coming together in fellowship and unity so we can strengthen one another in order to accomplish the task that's going to take place outside of the building. I'll sit at home and do it. Man, I'm up every morning on Sunday. I watch so-and-so on the TV and man, he can preach like a whirlwind. Yeah, sure can. Don't believe none of what he preaches. He preaches it and don't live it. They talk big because it sounds good. You know, I'll tell you what, I I, I can out-preach any of them guys. Did you know that? I really can. I set my mind to it. They couldn't pick my Bible up. T.D. Jakes included. I don't get $350 million a year. I don't wear diamond rings that give me a hernia. But folks think, well, they're good preachers because look what they got. You don't determine the, their, their, worship, their, their worship ability or their, or their dedication to God by what they possess. If that's the case, Elijah's in hell tonight. And John the Baptist, he had nothing going for him. Born of women, there was none like him though. None like him. Noah never had a congregation. Bible said he preached 120 years and never had a convert. Well, they sure wouldn't have him on TBN. 
but he was the only man in all the book of God that the Bible said he was a man, a preacher of righteousness. Why? Because he did the will of God. God's not looking for showboys and shining stars. He's just looking for a man or a woman, regardless of their background or how ability they've got. He just wants a man or a woman that, that will live for him, trust him, believe him, serve him, work for him every day of their life. And if you intend to go to heaven, that's what you have to do. You have, there are no options. There, there's no alternatives here. There's, there's no what's behind door number three. There is no door number three. There's door number one. And everybody goes through the same door. Everybody goes through the same door. Tonight, we're, we're building up for Sunday. And we're building up for these other things that you've got going. But tonight is a night of preparation. God wants you to get ready. And I think we should take heed to him. We should pay attention tonight closely. This is not a happenstance service. I don't know what he felt when he called me. Yes, he called me this time. I didn't have to beg to come. It's not that. You felt something. You felt something. We've talked about that. You felt something stirring. You thought, I don't know what it is. I don't know where it's going to take us. I don't know what's going to happen. But I know that we have to have it. We've got to have it right now. We can't continue to wait. We can't just go on with our everyday lives and pretend we're doing something that we're not doing. We're not going to do that. We can't do that. You people have to be ready to meet the Lord tonight. you got to be ready to meet him tonight. And if you can't get ready for tonight... Chances are you won't be ready for the rapture. Because today is the day of salvation. Today. This is the day of salvation. I would like tonight, and I know this perhaps maybe is a little different to you, but I would like tonight for you to focus on the will of God and what it means for you to do the right thing. You can't give a portion and expect God to be satisfied with a portion. God doesn't deal in portions. He wants every part of you, every thinking part and every moving part. God wants every part of you. He wants you 100% or he don't want you at all. There are no percentages in this. There's no little bits here. It's, it, it, and another good example, I've used this many times and, and I'm sure you've heard it many times. No, no woman has ever been a little pregnant. They either are or they ain't. And ain't is now a word in case you didn't know. They did that just for the people down south. They put it in the dictionary. There was a, there was a man, a king by the name of Joash. And Joash was, he wasn't a real bad man. He wasn't a real good man. He's one of these guys that he just kind of was. And Joash loved Elisha. He loved the prophet. And Elisha became sick. In fact, it was his time to die. And so Joash went to see him. And when he got there, he walked over to Elisha's bed, whatever he was laying on. And Elisha said to him, he said, Joash, he said, get your bow and arrows. So he got his bow, he'd laid it down, he picked up his bow, his quiver full of arrows and walked over to the man of God 
and he had his hand on the bow and Elisha reached out and he took his hands, Brother Kylie, and he laid his hands on top of Joash's hands. And he said, now fire an arrow out the window. And Joash took his bow and arrow, pulled arrow out, drew his bow back, let it fly out the window to the east. Elisha spoke to him and he said, that arrow signifies your victory over the Syrians. Over the Syrians. Did did anybody here want to take a guess? I'm only going to let one of you do it, but... Anybody here want to take a guess on what the most evil country in the world is? Who said that? Did you say Syria? Correct. ISIS is home there. Al-Qaeda, their home there. All their support comes from there. Syria is an evil, evil country. If you're from there, I'm sorry. I'm glad you were able to get out. It's an evil country. It has always been evil. Remember that, okay? These beheadings and all this stuff we're seeing, they may happen in either Iraq or or one of these other countries, but they got their start in Syria. Some of these people that have been captured were captured in Syria. And nobody can get the Syrians to do anything right. You know why? They're not going to do anything right. They're evil people. They've They've been the enemies of God's people ever since we can remember. We're not going to change that. Peace, peace. There is no peace. There will never be peace with them people. And so he said, that arrow represents victory for you over Syria. That arrow right there. He said, now take, now the scripture said in the old King James, take your arrows and and strike the ground with them. But the actual translation of that was to shoot the arrows. But regardless of of whatever it meant, you'll get the gist of it. He picked up his quiver, his arrows. He walked over to the window and he put an arrow in there and let it fly. He put another one in there and let it fly. He put another, there's a lot more than seven arrows in a quiver. He put another one in there and and let it fly. And then he set them down and just stopped. And when he did, Elisha became angry. And he said, why did you stop? And all he could do was shrug his shoulder. He didn't know, you know, he wasn't interested. He, He wasn't interested. And he said, You should not have stopped. He said, you should have shot every arrow till they were gone, till your quiver was empty. And if you had them, Syria would have been consumed. If Syria were consumed, that means she wouldn't exist no more. Here we are, thousands of years later, fighting this terrible enemy that should have been destroyed that day. No, I didn't get that from somebody else. I got it from me. They had the opportunity that day to accomplish something that would have benefited us here tonight. We would have had that horrible enemy under our feet. But because he wasn't interested, he was a lackluster king. He just didn't have his heart into it. How many of us have got a quiver full of arrows? We hadn't fired an arrow in God knows when. Because our hearts aren't in it. So as a result, we wound up with Syria, who should have been destroyed, but wasn't. All because three shots was all he took. And that gave him three victories, but that was not near enough. Had he have emptied that quiver, we wouldn't be talking about Syria tonight. We wouldn't be fighting that awful enemy tonight. They would be gone. 
You never, never, never should underestimate what it is that God is asking you to do. Don't stop short. You know what's wrong with so many of us in America? And I know I'm, I'm th- this, you, you may think this isn't positive, but this is very positive. We are, we're living on the minimum. What are the minimum requirements to get me through? How close to the edge can I get and still be safe? How much can I give that will satisfy them when they look at the financial report? See, your, your minimum requirements, you're living by minimum requirements. God's not looking for minimum requirement people. God's looking for women, a widow women like that one that went by and put everything she had in that bucket. And then when the Pharisees was all dropping in their big offerings and giving their tithes and all of that, and Jesus is watching, he calls his disciples over and he says, she gave more than anybody. They said, wait a minute, she didn't put but two mites in there, two pennies. He said, yeah, but she gave of her living What she gave, she felt. She felt it. I can assure you one thing. I know people that could write checks that could pay off a lot of churches, but they'll never do it because they're living on the minimum. How close to the edge? What can I do? How can I, can I dress? How far can I go in my dress code? How far can I go in my spiritual life? How, how much of the Bible do I need to read in order that I can get by? Listen, folks, you don't need to just get by. You need, we love the scripture that says God does exceedingly, abundantly and above anything that we think or ask. God is looking for some people that will do exceedingly, abundantly and above anything that he might ask us to do. We're ready to go the extra mile. We'll pray the extra 10 minutes. We'll come to church for the prayer meeting. We'll do whatever's necessary to enhance our spiritual walk with God. You say you want to be saved? That's how you do it. This is not anything new. This isn't a revelation. This is actually old hash. I'm not teaching anything you haven't heard. I'm not saying anything. I don't have anything written down here that's, that's new to you. I'm just telling you the simplicity. of all. Well, what do we need to do then? Well, here's what I think you need to do. I think you need to get your bows, your arrows, and a full quiver. I think you need to make a list of what you did not do last year and the year before. Make a list of what you did not do last year and the year before. Why? Why? Because I am convinced and I just began to actually minister about this in the last week. I believe that 2015 is a year of reaping. Reaping. Now we like to hear that because the televangelists say this is the year we're going to reap a harvest. Dear God, everybody's going to have money. We're going to have everything imaginable. God's going to bust down the doors. You know how many years we've been hearing that busted down door thing? And the doors are still standing. This is your year. Thus saith the Lord. And man, we get emphatic. We've even got ways to make those words sound differently. God says. And people just quiver and tremble. I'm not talking about reaping that kind of harvest. I believe this year 
that this is the year we're going to reap what we've sown. And you need to ask yourself on your list, what did I sow in 2014? What did I sow in 2013? What do I have? If God is going to let me reap what I have sown, what have I sown the last couple of years? What do I have to look forward to? Ah, that changes the spectrum. Now all at once we're we're starting to see some things we wish we hadn't done. Some things we wish we hadn't said. Let some incidents go. We wish we hadn't let them go. I don't need your help because I know this is right. If we reap what we sow, it may not be a very pleasant experience. In fact, it may be very unpleasant. But I'm going to give you tonight, tonight, and you can take this or leave it. You can believe it or not believe it. But tonight, every one of you in this building, every single one of you in this building, God is going to give you the opportunity to cover all of that stuff with the blood of Calvary. All of it. He's going to give you the opportunity to cover up 2014 and 2013 with the blood of Calvary. But don't try to milksop Jesus. Don't say a prayer that you think he wants to hear. That works good on your parents, kids. Don't work real good on God. And sometimes we think it works good with the preacher. Just say what he wants us to hear. Or we get in our little circles and we say what people want to hear. That's not going to work here tonight. Tonight, God wants to hear you say the truth. I'm sorry, God. I didn't do right. But I'm asking you tonight, Lord. Because all of that sin that's been in our lives the last couple of years, sin has abounded in our lives. Not everybody in the building, but a lot of us. Sin has abounded in our lives the last couple of years. But the Bible said where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. The grace of God is here tonight to leapfrog every bit of the sin that's destroyed our homes and our families and our relationships. You see, faith, if you don't have faith, you got fear. And fear mocks faith. But the moment you get faith to moving, faith will always triumph over fear. So your fear tonight gets thrown out the door and you say, God, I'm going to do the right thing. You got to stop living by minimum requirements. Well, how many church services do I have to go to every week to be saved? How many they have in? How many prayer meetings do I have to go to? How many they have in? How long do I have to pray every day? How long can you pray? How much do I have to give? How much can you give? Well, I pay my tithes. That's not, you're not, you don't pay tithes. I'm just throwing this in, brothers. Don't cost you no extra, so don't worry about it. Anything I say that's supernatural, I'll invoice you. You don't pay tithes. A lot of people don't believe in tithing. That's fine, you don't have to believe in it. It's in the Bible, so if you don't want to believe it, just don't believe it. There again, see, folks want to argue with the Bible. He said, yeah, but it doesn't say that I'm supposed to pay tithes. Jesus talked about tithing and people questioned him. And they told him, well, I do this and I do that. And he said, well, you ought to have done these things. You ought to have done, but don't you leave these other things undone. We're living in the day of the tragedy of the undone. We got a lot of undone things in our lives that we didn't do. We just did not do them. It's not so much what we did do as it is to what we did not do. And yet, 
This great God of grace that we, see we've made grace, we've turned grace into disgrace. We made it cheap. And these guys on TV, I'm sorry, I'm on them, boy. You can, you can bank on you can go home and say, man, he sure talks about them guys bad. I should talk about them bad. They're scoundrels. They're leading good and innocent people to hell by telling them they're going to prosper while they're sinning. You may get a raise on your job while you're living in sin, but that kind of prosperity is not recommended in the Bible. In fact, it says to stay away from it. The kind of prosperity that you look for in Scripture, and there's only one. He said, I would that you be in health and prosper even as your soul prospers. So how prosperous is your soul? What kind of wealth do you have in your war chest of the Holy Ghost? Where are you at in that respect? And there are no shortcuts. So you don't pay tithes. Tithes are part of a contract. It was a 10% deal. It was that way in the beginning. It's that way now. If you're going to pay them, it's 10%. That's what the Bible says. So you give that 10%. It's not, uh, you're, not, you're not paying tithes. I've tried, my wife and I have tried to get away from that, but we pay tithes. You don't pay tithes. Just like when you give a guy, people that work for you. You got people that work for you. Y'all got people work for you. You give them their paycheck. You're not doing them a favor. They worked all, all week long for you. If you didn't pay them, you're, you're a thief. Because they earned that. That's their money. You have an agreement, a contract. You work 40 hours. You, you get $15 an hour. I'm going to give you, how much is that? 440 times 5, two, $600. I owe you $600. I can add. And you go give the man his $600 and act like you did him a favor. No, it's his money. He earned it. Tithing, the 10% is God's to start with. He owns the 100, but he lets you keep 90 and you give him 10. You don't pay him. You give him what's rightfully his. And the Bible said, if you don't give him what's rightful his, he said, you're a thief and a robber. Just like you'd be if you didn't pay your employee. Or if you and her partner's in a business on a 60-40 split and you get a big $10,000 check and you give her $50, you're a thief. You stole her 40%. So you're not paying there. The paying and the giving doesn't start till you give the offerings. Son, this is good stuff, boy. I wish my arm was a foot and a half longer so I could pat myself on the back. Here, you just do it. Oh, he hit me with both hands. You nearly hurt me. You see, 2 Corinthians, the eighth chapter, talks about equality. And it teaches that the way you, you determine how much you can give is not by, well, I need this. You know, there's a game this week and, you know, I wanted to buy that, this, that. And you, don't, you don't figure like that. You know, you actually should get in the habit of taking your money or your paychecks or your bank accounts or your savings or your stocks or your bonds, whatever it is that you have, your possessions, and say, God, move upon me and let me know what I'm supposed to give to the kingdom of God. That's how you give. He said, you give as God has given to you. So how much has God given you? Well, I don't know. I got a raise on the job. Forget the money. You woke up this morning. Hello. Some guy died in a car wreck. Wasn't you. Somebody got diagnosed with terminal cancer. Wasn't you. 
Your children are healthy. How about that? So how much do you want to give? How much, what price tag can you put on that? That's how giving works. How much can you afford to give? No, no, I'm going to take that away. How much can you afford not to give? You say, you're just trying to get money for this church so they can make the mortgage. This ain't got nothing to do with the church. I'll tell you what, I have to say this, brother, I'm going to tell you. I'll, I'll try to cut, coat it best I can. A Catholic priest recently here in this area got up and made a statement, actually made this. Is it all right for me to repeat it? What that Catholic priest said? What does that mean? I thought I told you. Well, this will be a surprise to you too. He said, I got three things to say to you in this parish. Three things. The kids are gone. He said, number one, there are billions, over a billion people on this planet starving to death that have no food. We have several million here in the United States. He said, they're starving to death. He said, number two, he said, most of you don't give a D-A-M-N. I'll spell it. He said, most of you don't give a D-A-M-N. Although we have dams on rivers. And he said, third, you are more upset at me, most of you, because I said that word than you are about those hungry people. Boy, our self-righteousness is overwhelming, isn't it? What about those hungry people? How much should I give? How much you got? How much you got? What if you just piled it all up in a box and said, God, it's all yours. Here's the deed to my house. Here's the deed. Here's the title to my, to my car, my bike, my all that. Here it is, God. It's yours. What, what do I do with it? When was the last time you just spontaneously took a whole handful of money and went out and gave it away to strangers that didn't have nothing? What kind of return do you get from that? When was the last time you was in the nursing home? When was the last time you was in the hospital and nobody told you to go? When was the last time you went and fed somebody, a widow woman or something? Did Yet those are the things that Jesus told us to do. But we have become so far detached from this giving process that we want to do the minimum requirements. And God knows if they happen to get a law passed to take away, we can't take that tithe and that offering as a deduction. Woo-hoo! I'm going to say this and he can correct it later. And I may not be back Sunday. No one should ever sit down with a pen and a piece of paper to figure out how much to the letter because they want that deduction. Well, I, I want to get these taxes because I paid this and I paid that. You know what? I've been doing this for years. I'm not going to quit. I pay on the gross. I just pay on the gross. You say, well, I can't afford to do that. You can't afford not to do that. Who gave it to you? Who gave you that? And God's never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their seed begging for bread. My wife and I, I'm going to tell you, we took a big stack of $50 bills. We do this every year. We saved that money up and we got a big stack of $50 bills. And then right before Christmas, we took to the Walmart. You, know, you, know, poor, you don't want to go to Macy's. 
got to go to Walmart. We go into Walmart or the grocery store and we watch people got children in there and they're very selective and you'll sometimes hear their conversations. We can't afford that. We don't have the money for that. Let me tell you something. We light the Walmart up, my wife and I do. We're walking around giving people $50 bills. And when we got done, this year, for the first time ever, when we got done, we were so excited we'd given away all that money. I didn't have, I'm on Social Security. I didn't have that money to give away. Yes, I did have that money to give away. Could I afford to do it? I couldn't afford not to do it. We got home, we were rejoicing and singing. My wife and I, we were so happy. We walked in the house and God have mercy, there was a check in the mail laying on the table. A donation, more than what I gave. My wife said, what are we gonna do? I said, I guess we gotta give it away too. <laughs> do you understand this process? I'm in, the, I'm in a room full of millionaires tonight. Well, I used to be a sinner, but I wouldn't be again because I don't know when my journey might end. Any day, anyway, one day the Lord's gonna call for me. That's when I lay all my burdens down, pick up my robe and pick up my crown. I'll be walking on streets of gold from that day forward. Get your arrows, get your bow. How many of you ready to shoot? You gonna leave here with a quiver full? You're going to shoot them all. You want your victories to be won? That's all he had to do. He wanted his victories to be won. Quit asking if it's a heaven or hell issue. They the only ones that like that? Thank you. Who said that? Who said that's good? Wave your hand. You don't have to be ashamed. Who said that? I can't even see him. He said, that's good. Yeah. Is it a heaven or hell? You know, I don't believe it's a heaven or hell issue. Pastor walked up to a young man in his church. He said, I want you to shave that beard. Shave that beard? He said, it took me a long time to grow this beard. Unfortunately, he made the mistake of asking me what I thought about that. I said, need a razor? You ain't got no scripture against the beard. You know, the beard ain't gonna send you to hell. I said, no, but disobedience to that pastor will. Woo, son, I laid him down like wholesale carpet, man. Flipped him like a cheese omelet right there. <laughs> Did it ever occur to you that maybe sometimes this guy is looking out for your soul? Maybe he sees something you haven't seen. Maybe God spoke to him. Oh, God, don't speak to Brother Kylie. Don't kid yourself. Just maybe he saw something so... Quit worrying about if it's a heaven or hell issue. Just do it. Is it going to hurt you? Really, is it going to hurt you? I was in a church a while back, and actually it was a, a, a district thing, and there were a lot of pastors and preachers there, and there was one, one minister there that was on the district board or whatever it was, I don't know. And I don't know you fellas over here get your, get your T-shirts all wadded up and get mad. I don't see none. None of them got it. But you know how they, they do their hair? They spike it and just look like they stuck their tongue in a light socket. All their hair standing up. That's a style. Hollywood loves it because they all do it. Grown men, 40-year-old men, got their hair all sticking straight up in the air. Put, put grease and stuff on it, make it stand up. And I don't ever say much about that, but at this particular meeting, I don't know what come over me. I went to this minister who was a, a district official. And I said to him, I said, 
He said to me, he said, Brother East, how are you? I said, I'm doing fine. I said, I just come over here to tell you that I think it's time you started being a man. No, I didn't know him that well. And he said, what do you mean? I said, Paul said, when I was a kid, a boy, a child, I thought as a child, I spoke like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. I said, I think it's time that you started going into manhood because you got adults looking at you now, not a bunch of kids wanting to play basketball. I think you need to change your hairstyle. I turned around and walked off. A month or two later, I happened to be at another meeting and I saw that man come walking through there wearing a really nice looking suit, pinstripe suit, had his hair slicked down, son, parted and combed over. I mean, he looked like a million dollars. Walked right up to me and he said, how does that look? I said, now you look like a man. You say, you mean that hairstyle is gonna cause him a heaven or hell issue? It was a word from God. Everybody wants a word from the Lord. Can you give me a word from the Lord? And you're hoping I'm gonna say that you're gonna get a raise on the job, get a new home, and your wife is actually gonna do what you tell her. It's all right, Tom. But I come up with a word that says, God wants you to change your hairstyle. And without question, he took that word. Why? Because he wanted to do the will of God. Quit worrying whether it's a heaven or hell issue. Quit worrying about minimum requirements. What's the most I can do? What's the least I can do? How close to the edge can I get? I'm almost done. For those of you... I have to repeat this. This brother was in a service with me the other day. I may have said this the other day. I've said it three or four times here lately and I'm going to continue to say it everywhere I go because for me it was a revelation. There are a lot of people nowadays that say, you know, I'm going to have to find me another church. Why? Well, I'm not getting fed over there. Hmm. He's, you know, Brother Kylie, I don't know. He's changed. Have you looked in the mirror? You've changed. Yeah, he's changed. Maybe the fact that the guy's had more problems than the law allows for the last 18 months or so had a little effect on him there. Maybe that he was worried about 200 people's problems and, and plus his own problems and, and it's made him act or, or, or be a little different. Did you ever cut him any slack? So... We're asking these, these questions and in the midst of all this, we forget what it is we're supposed to be doing and how we're supposed to be thinking. And so I want to tell you this. If you don't feel like you're getting fed here, this is an adult class. I'm treating these youngins like adults tonight because they're old enough. They're accountable. 14, 15 years old, they're accountable. I'm going to treat them like adults. Is that okay? Thank you because I probably was going to do it anyway <laughs> if you don't think you're getting fed here I'd like to know all of you mothers that had children when your child got two or three years old what did it do when it got hungry it'll go to the refrigerator open it up and start looking for food that's why you've caught them in there crawled over on the floor and got in the dog dish and sitting there having a little Purina 
We've been there, hadn't we done those sort of things? Because they are learning how to feed themselves. And the older they get, the better they get at it. Now they can pick and choose what it is they want to eat. And we believe in that process. You get hungry, you go to the refrigerator, whatever it is, go down to McDonald's. I hope you don't go to McDonald's. Anything has a shelf life of six years, don't eat it. Anybody here work for McDonald's? I apologize. The fries are good. The coffee's good. So you, 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 have, you have people that say, well, I'm not getting fed there, so I'm going to have to go somewhere where they feed me. I thought when you became an adult, you fed yourself. Do you know that preachers don't feed people? I'm not going to feed you. Let me tell you, you come to my ministry, it's a buffet. Get you a plate and feed yourself. You don't like what I'm serving up, don't eat it. But if you want God to touch your life, touch your children, touch your families, give you an enhanced relationship, then get up in line, get some food and feed yourself. Take what is set before you and use it to make your body work like it's supposed to in the kingdom of God. And if you don't like the food here, really, you need to spend time at home with God preparing a sack lunch and bring that with you here. And then perhaps if somebody's not getting fed like you, you can share what you got with them. Pack a sack lunch. Quit blaming people for your hunger. There's plenty to eat. You say, well, he's supposed to feed me. No, you're supposed to read your Bible. You study to show yourself approved. Workmen under God, rightly dividing the word of truth. That need not be ashamed. Feed yourself. And don't blame him. If he brings it up, if he didn't do nothing but walk up there and read 25 Psalms and then go sit back down, food was laid out there. Whether you took it or not, it's up to you. And... And all my jumping up and down has nothing to do with what we're eating. I'm just trying to scare you a little bit so you'll eat it. So, last but not least, and I I want to tell you something. What I'm talking about right now, I felt like much of this, the Lord spoke to me weeks and weeks ago. And it was about this church, this one right here. I talked the last, I guess the last time I was here, I don't know if I've been here since then or not, but in that service where we talked about when Charles Sheldon settled Oconomowoc, he founded, he was a pioneer. The Pentecostal movement in North America was put together by pioneers. A pioneer is somebody that leaves something they've got already established and goes to an unknown and builds something for the kingdom of God. Our early pioneers, I can't imagine what it must have looked like here nearly 200 years ago when he came up and nothing out there but woods and Indians and a lake. But it was where two lakes met. That's where that name came from. I said that the last time I was here. He was a pioneer. And out of his work, because he was a pioneer... The city of Oconomowoc was founded. Kunomowoc. It was founded because of one pioneer. After the pioneers come, you know what follows the pioneers? Say that again, son. How old are you? 
You're 15. Say that again. What follows the pioneers? The settlers. The settlers. Thank you. This boy's on fire. Who do you belong to? Them? Oh, boy. Y'all are in for a ride. You better get your act together because this boy's going to give you a trail to blaze. So after the pioneers come the settlers. What's your name? God save the king. I wasn't ready for that. Are you his sister? If you tell me your name's Esther, I'm going to the car. What's your name? Who? I'll take that. And so the settlers come. Here's the unfortunate thing, Brother Kylie. We don't have no pioneers no more. Nobody wants to pioneer nothing. See, when he came here all those years ago, he pioneered work. You didn't have nothing. 28 years old, was you? 27. 27. Her, she was with you. Young man, young woman. Pioneered to work in a town didn't have Pentecostal church. You pioneered, dug it out, didn't you? Dug it out. Got a storefront, didn't you? Get downtown. I talked about all that. I knew more about this than you thought I did, didn't you? See, I did my homework because I didn't think I was getting paid. I said, I'm going to have to really show up and do good because I'm not getting paid. And so he was a pioneer. And then as he filled this place up, people settled in. Well, listen, it's not working no more. You understand me? I'm going to change the course of this church tonight with the help of God. You say, you ain't got the right to say it. Well, I can tell you that Elijah one time told, told all the people, he said, I'm going to shut up the heavens. Not God. He said, I'm going to do it. And Elijah shut them up for 42 months. And, and they didn't come over. Elijah opened them up 42 months later. So don't underestimate the power of God sometime. I want God to help me. Let's change this church's whole mindset here tonight. Every one of you that are here and the ones that ain't here, shame on them. But you're here. Let's change the mindset. Let's make what, what you built this there. You said you built this church to fill it up. Some of you sold stuff to build this church you got right here. You said you wanted to fill it up. Don't you think it's about time to fill it up? Is there anybody disagrees with that? Don't you think it's about time to fill it up? So, we don't need no more settlers. We need some pioneers. We need some people that'll say, I'm going to do a pioneer work. What are you going to do? I'm going to do, I'm going to start digging out of the ground. No, I we, we think if we, we, oh no, here's what we need to do. We need to, we need to get every, all of us load up in cars and put on combat boots and fatigue pants and give away TVs and microwaves and try and get, come on down to our church, we'll give you a microwave. Whew, I'm naughty. If I got to give you something to get you into the house of God, something ain't right. But if I can touch your heart, if I can reach inside of you and the power of the living God get inside of you, I won't have to make you do anything. I won't have to make you go anywhere. You will do it because God's presence is moving you to do so. So tonight, I want to change your mindset. I'm going to be a pioneer. Well, I'm not as young as that. Well, I'm not either. So don't use that age thing on me. Last week, I drove 1,500 miles and preached seven days in succession. Seven different services, seven different churches, drove 1,500 miles. And I'm still clicking my heels and chomping at the bits. I don't like 18-wheelers. I've done that. Come on, Ron Mitchell. We can get new knees, new hips, whatever we need. If one plays out, we'll get another. You got another knee. Let's go do something. Let's, let's get busy. Let's pioneer again. You're not too old. 
So don't use the age factor. Well, I got a family to support. Oh, I guess you think we just grew up and had nothing. We just went out every morning. There was manna. We went back to bed. Get up an hour later and rub our suspenders and hope that God has dropped a ham or something out there. What do you think this is? God is ready. He's ready. I want some of you young people, I want you to put these older folks to shame. I want you to run so fast they can't see nothing but a blur when you go by. If they don't want to knock doors and visit businesses, you go do it by yourself. Even if you make a few mistakes, go do it anyway. God will go with you. And then some of you need to get busy and say, we got a church to fill up. And when you meet one of them old naysayers that says, well, I'll just tell you. Say, no, you ain't going to tell me nothing. You can ask me anything you want to. You ain't telling me nothing. Furthermore, I don't want nothing to do with you. You don't have something good to say. You know, if I get you to start doing that after a while, and if everybody did that, if, 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 if everybody found that naysayer and, and he got the same answer from everybody because you're unified, you're united, and everywhere he went wasn't nobody listening to his gossip, wasn't nobody supporting all of his filthy talk and tail-bearing. When the tail-bearer's gone, the fire goes out. <laughs> after a while, the tail-bearer says, Ain't no need to stay around here. Ain't nobody listening. No, because we got other things on our mind. There ain't nothing wrong with the building. If there's a problem, it's in the church. And there ain't nothing wrong with the body of Christ other than it got lazy. It just got lazy. And it started finding fault instead of faith. Started finding trouble instead of peace. Because everything's a choice. You choose to get mad. You choose to lie. You choose to cheat. You have to choose to do all that stuff. If you got something negative to say, I don't want to hear it. And I can tell you, I'll, I'll just invite everybody to come say negative stuff to me because I take great pleasure in telling people how to have a cow bit the cabbage. I do. We don't have no time for that, Brother Kylie. We're talking about a rapture. That rapture would leave us standing. It'd leave half of us tonight. If Jesus came tonight, half of us wouldn't go. If you ain't ready to meet God tonight, quit worrying about the rapture. Man walked up to me one day. I never met the man before in my life. Great big fella. Walked into my own house. There were 10 or 12 people in my house, my family and friends. I didn't know this guy. He walked into my house, walked right up to me. And I said, how you doing? And his brother introduced me to him. I knew his brother. His brother, they both preachers. He introduced him to me from, and, and his brother was a oneness apostolic preacher. But he had some odd beliefs. He leaned over and shook my hand. He said, I suppose you're one of them pre-tribulation guys. And I said, and what if I am? And man, he lit into me. Whew. He lit into me like a honeybee on a spring flower. He buzzed around me. He walked up one side of me and down the other. He ate me up and spit me out for about 10 minutes. That's a long time when you're getting beat up, I'll just tell you. When he got done, I stood up from behind the chair at my desk there in my house. I stood up and I walked around that desk, that big old boy, and I had to look up to him. I said, well, you know, it was really good to meet you. And I said, when you leave here today, and you're fixing to leave right now. And I got him by the arm and started him toward the door. I said, I know, y'all know me as the real shy, bashful guy, but sometimes I got another side to me. 
And I got him by the arm and started him toward the door. Brother Mandis, when I got him right over to the door, I said, I want to tell you something, friend. You walked in my house. You beat me into the ground. You don't know me. You don't know what I believe. You don't know anything about me. But one thing I do know is that when you walk up there on that street and a bus runs over you and you're a pancake laying out there on the pavement, deader than Hogan's goat, you rest assured, son, your rapture took place right then. It don't matter if you're pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib. It doesn't matter what you are. You are there now. You're done. Yours is over. So I want to know how you are with God right now. That old boy come to me about oh a month or so later, knocked on my door. He said, Brother East, I said, yes, sir. He said, would you mentor me? Folks, pardon me. I got, I got some children that are lost. This isn't no time for me to get caught up in something that is so silly that doesn't matter. Something that's five years old, 10 years old, something, somebody did something so terrible. It's just no time for me to get caught up in that. My children, I got children that are lost. And the worst thing I can imagine, Rick Kiley, and this will never happen, it couldn't happen, is that I would go to heaven. This is hypothetical, pure. Just let me use my imagination. That if I went to heaven, and I wake up in heaven and I'm looking, the streets of gold, this beautiful place, walls of jasper, the Lamb of God. And to start looking around for my children and can't find them because they're not there because I was so busy acting like a fool, wasting my time. I was more interested in football games and fishing and hunting. And I'm not saying those things are bad. They have their place. But for God's sake, they're not first place. And I got so caught up in life that life passed me by. So if you'd stand with me. If you're looking for minimum requirements, you probably ought to tell Pastor Kylie tonight that you won't be back anymore. If, if you're looking for heaven and hell issues to be the main thing of the main thing of the main thing for you, you probably should just tell Pastor Kylie goodbye tonight. And you might say, some of you well, I already know somebody's thinking it. They're thinking, well, Brother East, how would you feel if about six or seven families just walked up to him tonight and said, hey, we're leaving. Can I tell you that when you go, I hope to see it when you walk out the door because I'm going to rejoice. Because it won't be a leaving, it'll be a purging. Because this church is ready to grow. And if you're going to stunt the growth, you really don't need to be here anyway. Let me tell you what I'm going to do. This is not a threat. I'm going to try to change every church I go to in Wisconsin to believing that we don't need church shoppers and hoppers and all that business. We need people that are steadfast and stable that are going to work to forward the kingdom of God and build something we can put in the hands of our children and our grandchildren so they can be saved. Isn't that what this is about? 
Isn't that what it's about? Isn't it about all of them? It's not about us. It's about doing the will of God. Doing what's right. And if you don't want to do what's right, you're dead weight. How much can you give? Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.